This is Guns and Butter. It seems clear that what he's referring to is support for the wars. And it seems clear that the principal concern is that the truth movement is gravely threatening the pretext for the wars of aggression that the United States has launched in Iraq and Afghanistan and um, expanding outward from there. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Todd Fletcher. Today's show, Cognitive Infiltration, an Obama appointee's plan to undermine the 9-11 truth movement. Todd Fletcher is a 9-11 researcher who has assisted David Ray Griffin in the writing of eight books on 9-11. He has written and given interviews on the events of 9-11 since January 2002. Today we discuss David Ray Griffin's newest book, Cognitive Infiltration, which deconstructs an essay by a high government appointee, Cass Sunstein, titled Conspiracy Theories, Causes and Cures. In this essay, Sunstein calls for government infiltration of the 9-11 truth movement. Todd Fletcher, welcome. Thank you very much, Bonnie. Now, uh, David Ray Griffin has a brand new book out. It's called Cognitive Infiltration, an Obama appointee's plan to undermine the 9-11 conspiracy theory. The book is in response to an article written by a legal scholar, a prominent legal scholar named Cass Sunstein, who wrote an article called Conspiracy Theories, Causes and Cures, with a co-author, Adrian Vermoyla, that was published in the Journal of Political Philosophy in June 2009. And the article has created a big stir. This article by Cass Sunstein has caused a significant... um, Uh, discussion principally on the internet by uh, civil libertarians of all political persuasions because in the article he essentially calls for um, a secret government operation very similar to COINTELPRO with the purpose of infiltrating and um, generating disagreements in with the purpose of breaking up 9-11 truth organizations. So it's an alarming proposal. One of the reasons that it's so alarming is that Cass Sunstein is a high government official. He was appointed by President Obama to um, office shortly after Obama came into the presidency. Um, He's been appointed to the position of administrator of the White House Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. President Obama and Cass Sunstein have been friends for many years. They were professors of law together at the University of Chicago. Subsequently, uh, Sunstein went to Harvard where um, he was when he was selected by President Obama for this position. And the other author, Adrian Vermola, is also at Harvard. And the two of them um, had been working on this essay for some time. It had been posted prior to Obama's election online in a draft version, and it was noticed and discussed from that point on. And then a, a revised, somewhat shorter version came out in this Journal of Political Philosophy in June 2009, after he had been appointed to this position. President Obama perhaps could have known uh, about this article prior to selecting him, and then after having uh, appointed him, he published this article in a journal. So um, there's been concern because of his call for what appears to be something very similar to a COINTELPRO 
operation directed at the 9-11 Truth Movement. There have been a lot of uh, responses to it and uh, people pointing out the uh, illegality of this proposal. However, um, Griffin's book, Cognitive Infiltration, is the first fully adequate response to it because of his his own uh, intellectual skills. He's able to um, penetrate the... Um, the language and the structure of the essay by Sunstein and show quite systematically that it's deeply flawed. It's written in a, an academic tone, published in an academic uh, philosophical journal, and it um, purports to be philosophical in nature. That is, it, it makes generalizations about conspiracy theories, conspiracy theorists, it um, uses uh, scholarly apparatus such as uh, notes, citations. Um, it purports to define its terms rigorously and discuss this issue with considerable rigor. But it turns out that um, this is largely um, an appearance rather than, than genuine. Um, Griffin is able to show that there are many flaws in the work. And um, he does this very ably. He shows that the definitions of terms used by Sunstein, they're either missing or they shift. For example, he calls 9-11 truth movement members extremists, but he never defines what extremism is. Um, Griffin shows that there are breaks in logic, um, that the citations that he employs often um, are to articles that don't support his argument, but actually argue against the point of view that he's he's taking here. So... Um, it takes someone with Griffin's capabilities to to analyze the article fully, and um, that's the major benefit of this book. David Ray Griffin has written this new book titled Cognitive Infiltration. Now, I don't think that's a concept that's going to be uh, readily perceived by everyone. Uh, that's a good question. The term cognitive infiltration is somewhat Orwellian. It has a kind of a, a euphemistic, shall we say, quality about it. And the proposal behind it, the idea is that conspiracist groups should be infiltrated by government agents. This is the essence of uh, Sunstein's proposal. Government agents uh, should infiltrate conspiracist groups to sow within them what he calls cognitive diversity. This means differences of opinion, um, arguments about um, what facts mean, uh, arguments over analyses disagreements, essentially. Cognitive infiltration uh, also has the dimension of infiltrating groups that don't have physical locations, aren't actual physical groups of people meeting, but are um, organizations whose um, presence is primarily on the internet and websites and chat groups and things like that. These are places where agents could infiltrate under false identities and sow dissension or disagreement through electronic uh, communications to these groups. So cognitive is relating to, you know, the ideas, trying to infiltrate the body of ideas of these groups, sow doubt and disagreement and dissension and um, argument with the purpose of breaking the groups up. Well, right. So then when David Ray Griffin titles his book Cognitive Infiltration, uh, he's referring to infiltrating people's minds, right? Yeah, I think primarily he, he is. The idea is to uh, try to infiltrate people's minds with government-generated uh, uh, counter-ideas. Right, exactly. Change people's minds, basically, right. is, is what Griffin's getting at here, I guess. Well, now, uh, tell us, who is Cass Sunstein? What can you tell us about his background and his present position within the government? 
Cass Sunstein is a, a well-known legal scholar. He's considered to be preeminent in his field. He's been a professor of law at the University of Chicago and at Harvard University. When he was at the University of Chicago, President Obama was a professor of law there as well, and they became friends there, and they're still friends. And um, I believe he's been claimed to be the most cited legal scholar in the country. That is, his writings are continually referred to by other legal scholars. So he's considered to be a top legal scholar, and thus highly qualified for the position that um, he's been appointed to. This is a significant point because here we have a preeminent legal scholar by the standards of his profession um, calling for what is essentially an illegal operation. And this isn't the usual sort of thing that preeminent legal scholars call for illegal operations. Well, uh, tell us the name of uh, uh, Cass Sunstein's article. The, the name of the article is Conspiracy Theories, Causes, and Cures, and it was published in the Journal of Political Philosophy, June 2009. This is an academic journal of philosophy. The subtitle, Causes and Cures, shows that he's um, going to talk about uh, where conspiracy theories come from and what he thinks should be done about them. So he sees them as a problem that needs to be, uh, needs to be solved. Well, Todd, uh, you have mentioned that Cass Sunstein's article on conspiracy theories, that he is uh, calling for illegal action. But according to Griffin in his book, Cognitive Infiltration, uh, uh, Griffin says that uh, Sunstein is considered a preeminent constitutional scholar. So you would think he would know constitutional law. Yeah, you would think that he would understand the importance of the First Amendment to the Constitution as well and the freedom of speech. So, yeah, it seems like um, with this background, it's extraordinary that he would be making such a call. Well, now, uh, has his paper, Conspiracy Theories, Causes and Cures, uh, been received well by the public? What kind of, uh, what kind of reception has it received? Um, it's caused concern across the board from right to left. Um, civil libertarians, people who are concerned about civil liberties, have um, been upset at this proposal that they've seen in the various forms, either the online version or the published version. There's been quite a spate of writings about it. Griffin's book is the first fully adequate response to Sunstein's proposals because Griffin goes into considerably more depth and he, he takes his argument, um, Sunstein's argument, apart and carefully analyzes it to a greater degree than other authors have done. But um, there has been widespread concern across the board about it. Well, I think that uh, Griffin uh, cites several well-known journalists in his book, Cognitive Infiltration, that have come out publicly and been highly critical of this uh, conspiracy theory paper written by a member of the Obama administration, right? Yeah, there have been. And um, one one point, though, that Griffin um, brings out better than uh, these other authors is the fact that um, Sunstein explicitly says that his principal focus and his main example of conspiracist groups are 9-11 truth groups. And his principal concern are conspiracy theories against the government. And his argument relies upon his assertion, without uh, backing it up really with any evidence, that conspiracy theories about the government are almost always unjustified and false, and especially 
so with respect to the United States government because he claims that the United States is an open society with a free press where it's very difficult for secrets to be kept. And so um, the likelihood that um, conspiracy theories about the U.S. government are true is very low. Um, but he doesn't actually back this up with um, with any kind of um, evidence, really. And Well, no, he actually contradicts himself on all of these points in his article, doesn't he? Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, it's an odd article. It's rather impenetrable. It's written in this academic mode. And uh, he will come out and make an assertion, and then he will admit that there are some exceptions to uh, this assertion. And then he just goes forward and makes the next assertion and then admits that there are some exceptions to that. And he doesn't, um, he doesn't really um, look at it carefully. Um, so there's plenty of room there for um, people to say, well, let's see, what are the exceptions and, and what do we learn if we look at this more closely? I'm speaking with 9-11 researcher Todd Fletcher. Today's show, Cognitive Infiltration – an Obama appointee's plan to undermine the 9-11 truth movement. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, in Cass Sunstein's article on conspiracy theories, he advocates breaking up groups, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He uses the language of breaking up in, in his article. Um, the purpose of his, his proposal is to break up these groups. And he's made an argument for these groups based on his assertion that 9-11 conspiracy groups, his principal focus and main example, are extremist groups. And because they're extremist groups, they're harmful to the society, they're harmful to government, they're um, dangerous, and they're prone to uh, the committing of terrorist acts. He asserts a, a whole series of um, uh, characteristics about 9-11 truth groups and does nothing with evidence to support these claims. But he, he makes these very extreme claims about the dangerousness of the 9-11 truth movement. And then he goes on to assert that members of the 9-11 truth groups are uh, what he calls the hardcore of these groups in any case, this is his term, that they're what he calls resistant to correction and thus information that counters their own view of the 9-11 events, um, they, they resist. And they're especially resistant to correction if the information comes from the government because they're anti-government conspiracist groups. Um, and so were the government to try to persuade them through, say, a debate about the facts that they would um, not change their views because of their resistance to correction – well, doesn't doesn't Griffin refer to this resistance as self-sealing beliefs? Uh, yeah, um, I think that's actually um, that actually is Sunstein's own term. He he calls this self-sealing beliefs, um, and thus because there's no point in um, engaging in an exchange of information and argument over the evidence, but also at the same time keeping in mind the extreme danger that these groups present that the government's really only option is to try to break the groups up. 
Well, is there a similarity between Sunstein's proposal and COINTELPRO? Yeah, this has been this has been the conclusion of most readers of of the essay that there are very great similarities here with COINTELPRO. This was an operation um, carried out by the FBI in the United States in the late fifties and the nineteen sixties. I think it was at least officially stopped in nineteen seventy one, and during this period, the FBI infiltrated a wide array of groups in the United States, political groups. Uh, socialist groups, um, civil rights groups, black power, uh, Native American groups, and infiltrated the groups and sowed dissension within them. In some cases, they used agent provocateur, and actually um, people were killed as a result of this. But the principal uh, method was to sow um, doubt about other members of the groups within members' minds. And what this did was break down the trust that they um, operated with that made their groups effective, that they could trust one another, they could work effectively. When the trust broke down, the effectiveness of the groups also broke down. And um, there were some really quite extreme cases of it, and probably most of the listeners to the show are very familiar with COINTELPRO. It was um, supposedly brought to a halt in 1971, but we know for a fact that um, there's surveillance still going on. We know that um, that anti-war organizers are prevented from flying on airplanes, and uh, you know they're on lists and things. So we know that um, these kind of operations haven't stopped entirely. But um, the COINTELPRO operation was essentially deemed illegal and was stopped by Congress in 1971. And here we have a preeminent legal scholar calling for its renewal. So it's a, it's a significant move that such a scholar in his position as a White House official would make a public call for a comparable and therefore illegal operation. The laws that overturned COINTELPRO, that stopped COINTELPRO, have not been completely overturned. And so um, those operations still are officially illegal. Well, let's talk a little bit about what Cass Sunstein is proposing in his article specifically. Now, apparently he comes up with five points as the best solution. He says uh, there are five things that uh, the government can do about conspiracy theories. They can ban them. They can tax them. They can mount counterspeech. They could hire private parties to engage in counterspeech. Or they could ask for help from private parties to infiltrate them. And Griffin points out in his book that uh, it's unlikely that in a so-called free society that a government could uh, ban them, ban conspiracy theories, or tax them. That's kind of laughable. Uh, It's kind of funny. Griffin talks a bit about that. But he does say in his book that what uh, Cass Sunstein is promoting is amounting what Griffin would refer to as a counter-speech or hiring private parties to engage in counter-speech. This sounds like a, a, what, a a privatized operation against First Amendment? Uh, Yeah, Sunstein um, articulates different options that government might have uh, to deal with the situation, and he concludes that the most promising one is that the government support the infiltration of conspiracist groups by agents of the government, um, that these people would either join the groups under their own identities or that they would be anonymous, but that their connection to the government would not be known by other members of the groups. Um, 
Yes, I think he does welcome uh, the participation in this process of private groups, but he's definitely calling for the government to hire people to carry out these acts. Does Sunstein's proposal violate First Amendment rights, free speech, and assembly? And I think another journalist has pointed out that what he's calling for violates laws against covert propaganda against U.S. citizens, which I guess there's a law against that, huh? Yeah, there are laws against that. Um, It does quite clearly violate laws against uh, the abrogation of free speech. So it it flouts the First Amendment to the Constitution. And yes, there are laws that the government can't engage in propaganda against its own citizens. So, you know, it looks like it's illegal on that score as well. Well, now, does Cass Sunstein call for televised debates and a new investigation? And if not, why not? Well, I think this is a a key question. Um, His argument is carefully constructed, although deeply flawed, as Griffin shows, but it's carefully constructed to set up this proposal of his as the only possible alternative. And the only way he can set it up in this manner is to avoid the possibility that the government could respond to the growth of the 9-11 truth movement by responding publicly in a debate, uh, in a forum, a public forum, where defenders of the official account of 9-11 and proponents of the alternative account of 9-11 that are held in a variety of different versions by the 9-11 truth community, um, that these two could engage in a public discussion of the facts and the theories based on the facts as either side views them, and that the whole thing could be done openly, above board, rationally, based on fact and argument. Well, um, Sunstein never discusses this. Sunstein's whole essay is constructed to avoid, precisely to avoid raising this possibility. So the one big obvious solution to the problem is carefully uh, maneuvered around so that he can propose uh, the infiltration as the only reasonable alternative. And I think the reason for this is you know, pretty clear. It's that the government would not succeed in this debate. The government would lose these debates, and it would bring all kinds of information to the public. One thing that such a process would do would make the viewpoint of the 9-11 truth movement much more widely spread in the media and such. So um, it has a, an obvious downside to the government. And then if they, if they are not convincing, if the government um, defenders are not convincing in this public forum, then um, they've actually damaged their, their own position. So, so I think um, it's true that the government doesn't dare defend its undefendable explanation in the public forum. Well, Cass Sunstein is claiming in his uh, article that conspiracy theories concerning September 11th are false. This is his claim, and that the government's explanation of what went on there is true, is the true one. Right. So then, obviously, if, if he really believed in what he was saying, then why would he be avoiding a public debate on the subject? Right, exactly. Um, he does assert precisely that. He asserts that the government's is true and the alternative theory is false, but he doesn't provide any evidence in his article for this. Um, he asserts that the 9-11 truth community's alternative theory of 9-11 has been refuted, but he doesn't cite a single source. He gives the readers of his article not one reference that um, would lead them to discover where the 9-11 truth community's arguments have been debunked. 
not one source. So there's no evidence, and he doesn't engage with any of the actual factual questions or any of the major theoretical assertions of the 9-11 truth community at all. He completely um, avoids dealing with the facts of it. Well, I was about to ask you, did Cass Sunstein attempt to refute the very large body of evidence that independent researchers have amassed showing that the government's 9-11 narrative is as full of holes as Swiss cheese? And you've just said, well, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. All he does is is, uh, the only things he mentions are the 9-11 Commission report and NIST reports on the buildings at the World Trade Center, which collapsed on that day. NIST is the National Institute of Standards and Technology, the government agency which issued official reports purportedly explaining the collapses of the buildings. And he mentions those in the article as if those have um, taken care of the government's defense of its position. But in fact, every single one of those official publications by the government have been thoroughly debunked by the 9-11 truth movements and principally by David Ray Griffin. He's written a book, 9-11 Commission Report, Omissions and Distortions, that just um, shreds the the novel, which is the 9-11 Commission Report, this work of fiction authored by a uh, hired hand of the Bush administration, Philip Zelikow. It's essentially a work of fiction. And he also, David Ray Griffin, systematically um, shows that the NIST's explanations of the building's collapses don't hold up to scrutiny. The two towers he discussed in his book, Debunking, 9-11 Debunking, and his book immediately prior to cognitive infiltration is The Mysterious Collapse of World Trade Center 7. And in that book, he takes apart NIST's report on WTC 7. I'm speaking with 9-11 researcher Todd Fletcher. Today's show, Cognitive Infiltration, an Obama appointee's plan to undermine the 9-11 truth movement. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Well, now you brought up the 9-11 Commission report. Do you think that there's any similarities? You mentioned Philip Zelikow. What about Cass Sunstein? Do you think they have anything in common? I do. Um, I think that um, they are somewhat similar in the sense that they're both um, purveyors of fiction. <laughs> I've already said Zelikow in essentially writing the 9-11 Commission report um, this is a, a largely fictional work, and this sounds like a bold assertion, but if if you read, for example, Griffin's book, 9-11 Commission Report, Omissions and Distortions, you'll see the control that Philip Zelikow had over the writing of the document. And um, subsequently, in later books, Griffin shows that Zelikow had, um, had an outline written for this report before the process started all kinds of testimony presented to the 9-11 Commission never made it into the report. Um, Things like WTC-7, the collapse of the third building, is never even mentioned in the 9-11 Commission report, which was supposed to be a complete account of the events of the day and an explanation of them. Um, So one of the steel frame skyscrapers that fell was not even mentioned in the report. And it turned out that Zelikow had complete control over the writing of the document that the commissioners themselves did not have control over. It. Zelikow did. Zelikow was very highly um, connected. He was a personal friend of Condoleezza Rice. He had been a member of President Bush's transition team before taking office in 2001. Um, and Zelikow 
was himself an academic prior to his government positions. One of his fields of interest was what he called public myth or public um, consensus. Zelikow um, considered himself to be an expert on what he called public myths or public consensus. And uh, he had written perhaps pseudo-scholarly articles about public mythologies. These are things that societies believe that orient them to the world through which they view reality and which condition their responses to events and is the sort of thing that you can imagine uh, policymakers being interested in, you know, what makes the public respond? How does the public um, look at the world? Um, How can we manipulate the public? And as a matter of fact, Philip Zelikow um, in 1998 co-authored an article in Foreign Affairs called Catastrophic Terrorism. He co-authored this with John Deutsch, a former uh, director of the CIA and a third author. And in this article, Catastrophic Terrorism, Zelikow discussed the possibility of a catastrophic terrorist attack at the World Trade Center, something so cataclysmic that it would create a before and an after, and that society after the events would be very, very different from the way it had been prior to the events. And he talked about the the effect it would have of causing legal changes, permitting surveillance of the population, um, seizure and arrest without charge, all kinds of things. So it's very strange that in this article he compared it, the authors, he wasn't the sole author, they compared it to Pearl Harbor. And when was this written, Todd? When was this published? 1998 in Foreign Affairs, three years before the 9-11 events. A former director of the CIA, John Deutsch, and Philip Zelikow, the executive director of the 9-11 Commission and the author of the 2002 National Security Strategy for the United States um, before he became director of uh, the 9-11 Commission, Philip Zelikow wrote um, this article, Catastrophic Terrorism, that ran a scenario past the reader of a catastrophic attack at the World Trade Center that was so monumental that everything changed. Laws changed the before and the after were were unrecognizably different. Um, these these uh, rather amazing expressions of Zelikow have been discussed in accessible places. In fact, David Ray Griffin has discussed them in some of his books. He discusses Zelikow's control of the 9-11 Commission in his book, 9-11 Commission Report, Omissions and Distortions. And um, he then, in his next book, Christian Faith and the Truth Behind 9-11 has a chapter on um, the neocons in the second half of the book, the history of the neocons, and I believe it's in that chapter. I'm not 100% sure, but he discusses Zelikow's article on catastrophic terrorism, and he points out the parallels here. Um, One parallel uh, that raises some eyebrows is his use of the, um, the analogy to New Pearl Harbor. The year before, in 1997, Zbigniew Brzezinski had published a book called The Grand Chessboard. And in this book, um, which is a rather Machiavellian um, um, geostrategic prognosis by Brzezinski about what the United States needs to do to make the coming century, this was 1997, the coming century, uh, an American-dominated century, um, he laid out a a geostrategy involving – seizing control of Central Asia. And he admitted that the United States public would be resistant to to a move like that, an effort to take over Central Asia. But he, 
he pointed out that a, a shocking event, a new Pearl Harbor, would galvanize public opinion to support such a venture. So in 97, Brzezinski uses the new Pearl Harbor analogy. In 98, um, Zelikow and Deutsch and Carter was the other man's name, uh, use the same analogy. And then in 2000, a group called the Project for a New American Century launched their website in which they also theorized the potential impact of a new Pearl Harbor on precisely the same goal, a new American century. And then in 2001, 9-11 took place, and the result was the immediate invasion of Central Asia. And and these are all linked by Zelikow's catastrophic terrorism article, which talks about the World Trade Center, a catastrophic attack on the World Trade Center, and the um, the gulf between the before and the after, and how the after is is characterized by a loss of civil liberties, and um, you know interrogations and uh, all that. Um, and then further thing about Zelikow is his role in 2002 as the author of the National Security Strategy of the United States, 2002. This was a document, I believe, that came out under the State Department, um, and the principal author was Zelikow. And this is where the new doctrine of preemptive war was expressed, where the U.S. for the first time in history asserted the right to invade another country without there being any evidence of a near-term threat against the United States. In other words, simply the possibility of a future threat developing was sufficient to um, to enable the United States to launch a war. Whereas before, there had to have been a, a grave near-term threat before the U.S. would be able to undertake something like that. So Zelikow, when he came in as executive director of the 9-11 Commission, had been the principal author of the document which um, formally codified the action undertaken as a result of 9-11 and the, the pretext that it gave to launch a war. Now, is is the concept of preemptive war, is that what is referred to as the Bush Doctrine? And you're saying, yes. And you're saying then that, that Zelikow was its author? Yes, that is the Bush Doctrine, and Zelikow was the author. And this is a little-known fact. Um, interestingly, um, the fact that Zelikow was the author of the... 2002 National Security Strategy was not on his resume when he applied for the job as executive director of the 9-11 Commission. When he applied for that job, um, he was resisted. He was uh, he was not wanted by the 9-11 families, which had been um, instrumental in creating the commission. They didn't like Zelikow because of his close ties to the Bush administration. And they they um, very strenuously resisted his um, his being appointed. The Democratic Party members of the commission were uniformly against Zelikow, with the sole exception of uh, Lee Hamilton, the co-director, the Democratic co-director. And um, furthermore, Zelikow was a close personal friend of Condoleezza Rice, had been a member of Bush's transition team um, prior to his coming into office in 2001. And um, Zelikow, after he took office as executive director, maintained close contact and communication with Karl Rove, 
in the White House and possibly with other members of the administration, such as Condoleezza Rice. So it's essentially, um, Griffin lays this out in 9-11 Commission Report Emissions and Distortions. Essentially, Zelikow was a hand-picked um, operative for the White House who ran the commission and completely controlled the text that was written. And didn't he also author a book with Condoleezza Rice? Yeah, he was a co-author of a book with Condoleezza Rice in the 1990s. So now, uh, tell us once again, where was this article published in 1998 that he uh, co-wrote with Deutsch? It was a foreign affairs article in 1998, and it's online. If you Google Zelikow catastrophic terrorism, it'll come right up. One thing I wanted you to address right now, Todd, was the similarity between Zelikow and Cass Sunstein. And one point that you've made that I think that we should just emphasize is that Cass Sunstein's article, Conspiracy Theories, was written and published before he was appointed to the Obama administration, That's correct. Yeah, a draft version of it um, had been posted online the year before he was appointed. And so presumably the uh, the White House and uh, the transition team in their deliberations over who should come into the administration would have known about this, should have known about it. And then, of course, after he was appointed, uh, the published version in the Journal of Political Philosophy came out and it, it didn't result in him being sacked. <laughs> so um, – but now here's, here's my connection. Uh, I'm not saying that um, Sunstein and Zelikow talked to one another – But um, in his portrayal of the 9-11 truth movement as dangerous, extremist, dangerous, harmful, and potentially capable of resorting to terrorism, uh, Sunstein is creating a fantastic scenario, a fictional fictional picture. He has no facts to back it up. He never defines extremism. He presents no evidence of any terrorist act ever committed by any member of the 9-11 truth movement. These are just pure assertions to generate an attitude toward the movement on the part of readers. In other words, he's created a fictional picture of the 9-11 truth movement. The 9-11 truth movement is largely a body of highly intelligent people who are very concerned by the magnitude of the events, the magnitude of the crimes that were committed on 9-11, and the many um, indications that the official explanation um, doesn't hold water and have tried to understand the evidence that there is for alternative explanations and have felt duty-bound based upon their responsibility as citizens and as human beings to a, a properly organized society that they have to speak about it. And so these kind of people have been organizing and have been organizing their thoughts and organizing themselves to express their very grave concerns at considerable personal risk to their careers. One of the reasons that so many of the um, higher profile people are retired is they don't, they are freer to speak because they're retired. Um, People have to be concerned about their careers. So that these people are, are potential terrorists is pretty silly to say the least. And really they're perhaps um, true patriots or these are people who are expressing their world loyalty, their loyalty to the world if they're not nationalist patriots, which, of course, nationalism is one of the plagues of the world. But these are, these are world-loyal people. These are people who are concerned about their world. What is significant about Griffin's point that the 9-11 Truth Movement is an international rather than a national movement? Doesn't Cass Sunstein criticize the 9-11 Truth Movement for being anti-nationalistic? Sunstein, um, part of his argument when he refers to the dangers um, presented by the 9-11 Truth Movement, 
is that he believes that the theories put forward by the movement pose a danger to the government. And specifically, he talks about the dangers they pose to the public perception of government policies, the public's willingness to support government policies, to become um, involved in and active in government-sponsored undertakings. And if you read this obtuse language, it seems clear that what he's referring to is support for the wars. And it seems clear that the principal concern is that the truth movement is gravely threatening the pretext for the wars of aggression that the United States has launched in Iraq and Afghanistan and um, expanding outward from there. And they are concerned that in the future, if this movement continues to grow like wildfire, that the support for the tolerance on the part of the American population for the wars will, um, will bottom out and they'll have a much bigger difficulty in manpower for their, for their armies. I'm speaking with 9-11 researcher Todd Fletcher. Today's show, Cognitive Infiltration, an Obama appointee's plan to undermine the 9-11 truth movement. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Another element here uh, regarding the national and international aspect, the 9-11 truth movement is most definitely an international movement now. And we're, we're very well connected and we're in communication with one another. Um, in his explanation of the conspiracist mindset, um, this is, relates to Sunstein's um, analysis of the causes of uh, these perspectives. He claims that that conspiracists, especially his main example, 9-11 Truth Movement members, are informationally isolated. And because they have limited information, they're able to entertain these wild theories. And the reason that he's able to assert that an anti-government conspiracy about the United States government almost certainly is unjustified and false is the vast amount of information that is available in modern society in the United States. But uh, the notion that the members of the 9-11 Truth Movement are informationally isolated is ridiculous. People like David Ray Griffin are not informationally isolated. Um, And uh, there are hundreds now of very highly qualified professionals who've um, organized themselves in 9-11 organizations who are extraordinarily highly informed, not only about their fields of expertise, but about the world as a whole. So um, the notion that, um, that these concerns can be broken up through a national movement, a, a U.S. government infiltration movement, um, is pretty ridiculous because these these organizations essentially are global. Well, right. And in, in terms of being informationally challenged, it's people who just get their information from the mass media, I would think, that are informationally challenged. And furthermore, the official defenses of the 9-11 events, uh, the NIST report and the 9-11 Commission report, these are the ones that have um, refused to permit all kinds of information in them. You know, they are actually highly selective in the information that they that they will discuss. Well, exactly. Now, uh, a little bit earlier when you were talking about Cass Sunstein making up a fake picture of uh, 9-11 uh, skeptics as dangerous and mm-hmm. violent, uh, doesn't he even laughably worry that uh, the government infiltrators into these groups might be required to conduct violent and dangerous acts to to gain their bona fides? Yeah, that's a real highlight of the of the essay there. Yeah, yeah, he warns 
uh, prospective agents or you know government planners in setting up their infiltration programs that that the people that take on this task and go into these groups may be called upon by other members of the groups to prove how genuine they are by carrying out you know terrorist acts i mean it's it's like you know the reversal of uh, the agent provocateur. <laughs> well, he, he makes it sound like the 9-11 Truth Movement is a mafia group or yeah. something. Yeah, it's, it's pretty silly. Sunstein admits that the Bush administration lied about Saddam Hussein's involvement in the attacks of September 11th. Isn't this a concession that the Bush administration itself was promoting extremism and violence in its official conspiracy theory? I mention this because this is what he accuses the 9-11 Truth Movement of, of uh, advocating extremism and violence. Yes, and that, that's, that's a very important point because, because the, the true extremists and the truly violent are the, the nationalist extremists that are in control of our government. And so they're launching wars based on lies. And what could be more extreme, what could be more violent than the millions that have been killed as a result of these wars of aggression – based on the lies that have been told about the events of 9-11. You know, we're assuming for our discussion here that that we know that 9-11, the official explanation, is a lie. Um, And there may be listeners who um, aren't ready to go along with us on that point. But it's now possible to very, very efficiently um, point up the lie at the base of the official explanation of 9-11. When you look at the physical evidence and you look at the evidence now for the fact that the three buildings at the World Trade Center had to have been brought down by controlled demolition. Um, NIST, in its report on WTC7, has admitted that Building 7 fell at free fall speed for 2.25 seconds, two and a quarter seconds. For the building to have fallen at free fall speed, by the way, this building came down after 5 o'clock in the afternoon, was never struck by a plane and had very small fires. Um, no big fireballs in WTC7. For, and it was a steel frame building. And it was a steel frame skyscraper, 47 stories tall. Would have been the tallest building in many states in the United States. Uh, it came down in six seconds, straight down, in a classic controlled demolition. And videos all over the world have gone viral and people have seen them. And it looks exactly like a controlled demolition. And in fact, um, Dan Rather, when he saw it, said at the time that it looked like a controlled demolition to him. Um, Well, Al-Qaeda was not able to bring those buildings down by controlled demolition. Uh, There are other lines of evidence supporting the controlled demolition. The the dust has been analyzed and unreacted, unexploded nanothermite particles have been found throughout the dust. Um, Iron spherules, very tiny nanospheres of molten iron um, produced by high temperature and explosion that melted the steel frames of the buildings and threw droplets of molten iron outward at high speed so that they took on a spherical shape. These are present in the dust from uh, the WTC in very high concentrations, another indication of explosives used. Al-Qaeda wasn't able to, uh, to do this. So it's very clear the resistance to correction that Sunstein Um, applies to the 9-11 truth movement. He says is based on bias, that the 9-11 truth movement is biased against information from the government because of its anti-government bias. But um, there is another group of people who are resistant to correction, and that is when they have knowledge. And knowledge is justified true belief. 
And the case for controlled demolition of the buildings at WTC has reached the, the level of knowledge. And so the resistance to correction is based on, on that, not on bias. One of Sunstein's assertions, uh, that is that 9-11 skepticism was dangerous because it could lead to, quote, widespread public skepticism about the government's assertions and, quote, dampening public mobilization and participation in government-led efforts seems to me to be true. Do you think this is the real danger that the government fears? Yes, I do. I think that's precisely what it is, and I think it's referring to um, to the wars. And um, their concern is that the questioning of the pretext for the wars, which is the core of the 9-11 truth community's um, questions, will definitely dampen public support for the wars abroad. Right, that they'll throw a war and nobody will show up. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> Does Sunstein advocate open discussion in the press and public debates based on real evidence? No, Sunstein um, studiously avoids any such such suggestion. He claims that the 9-11 truth community um, hardcore conspiracists are what he calls resistant to correction and that they are biased assimilators and that they um, are especially resistant to information coming from the government so that there's no point in the government um, engaging in public discussion. It would be a waste of taxpayers' money, about which they're so concerned, and um, that the only, the only rational course for the government is to engage in surreptitious infiltration and the sowing of cognitive diversity in the groups to break them up. Cognitive diversity? That's his term for... Um, for what the agents bring to the groups um, or what they seek to create in the groups. He uses the Orwellianism, cognitive diversity and a diversity of views. Instead of a a monolithic um, conspiracist view, suddenly um, there are a diversity of views and then people start arguing based on this this diversity and then they start um, distrusting one another and the groups fall apart. Diversity of views, but no public debates. Right, exactly. And they've avoided debate, by the way. This is, this is a significant issue. The government has systematically avoided debate. Um, scientists and uh, administrators at NIST have been repeatedly approached by highly credible, highly credentialed members of the 9-11 Truth movement, uh, members of architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth and other organizations like that one, to engage in debates, um, televised debates, offered to have all of their expenses paid, and they've been systematically systematically turned down. This is this has been standard. Um, there will be no debate. Why does David Ray Griffin say that the 9/11 Truth Movement should be grateful for Sunstein's proposal for government cognitive infiltration by surreptitious means and consider his pernicious proposal a compliment? Yeah, Griffin closes his book on this reflection. The article by Sunstein has provided Griffin with the opportunity to show once again how solid the case that the 9-11 truth community presents is. So he's grateful for the occasion. It also enables him to show once again how pathetically inept and inadequate defenses of the official position are. And... um, because Griffin in the book is able to show how truly pathetic and inadequate the article by Sunstein is, how 
how deeply riven with flaws and other problems his article is, that if this is the best that the government can do, isn't it time that they throw in the towel? Is the 9-11 truth movement growing? It is growing. It's growing like wildfire, I really do think. Um, I just in my personal life see people talking about 9-11 all over the place, um, which is relatively new. But as I was mentioning, um, there are numerous professional groups and many have been developing recently. Just on September 9th, three new 9-11 professional organizations, 9-11 Truth professional organizations, launched a joint press conference announcing their their new existence. These are military officers for 911truth.org and scientists for 911truth.org, actors and artists for 911truth.org. And they held a joint news conference on the city hall steps in both Los Angeles and New York City on September 9th and announced their existence and their call for a genuine investigation into the events of 9-11. So um, there's now a wide array of professional organizations. So um, three new organizations have come, have come into being recently. Support for the wars abroad is falling. Um, I believe 60% of the American population is now against the war in Afghanistan. I suspect that some of that is based upon questions that have been asked by the 9-11 Truth Movement and the growing level of suspicion that uh, exists about the basis of the wars, the reason for launching the wars. Todd Fletcher, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Bonnie. I've been speaking with Todd Fletcher. Today's show has been an Obama appointee's plan to undermine the 9-11 truth movement. Todd Fletcher is a researcher who has assisted David Ray Griffin in the writing of eight books on 9-11. He has written and given interviews on the events of September 11th since January 2002. He helps spread the word about 9-11 at wanttoknow.info. That's wanttoknow.info. Todd Fletcher may be contacted by email at toddfletcher at earthlink.net. That's T-O-D-1-D-F-L-E-T-C-H-E-R at earthlink.net. David Ray Griffin's new book, Cognitive Infiltration, is available at amazon.com. The article, Catastrophic Terrorism, Tackling the New Danger, a report of visions of governance for the 21st century by Ashton B. Carter, John Deutsch, and Philip Zelikow, published in 1998 in Foreign Affairs, can be found on the Internet by Googling. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner and Yara Mako. To make comments or order copies of shows, email us at blfaulkner at yahoo.com. That's B-L-F-A-U-L. K-N-E-R at yahoo.com. Please visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.org. That's G-U-N-S-A-N-D-B-U-T-T-E-R dot O-R-G. Evolution.
expansion of the mind. If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. You dig what I'm saying? Now, if you take heed to the words of wisdom that are written on the walls of life, then universally we will stand and divided we will fall because love conquers all. You understand what I'm saying? This is a call to all you sleeping souls. Wake up and take control of your own cipher and be on the lookout for the spirit sniper trying to steal your life. You know. 